to Ephesians chapter 5. That would be great if you've got your Bibles with you. Children, have a wonderful time. Enjoy. Have you seen some of the stuff that our kids are doing just as they're walking out? They've been doing... Have you, I've found up... This is actually Phil's. Have you seen these? They're prayers, that they're, things that they might need to say sorry to God for, and then the things that they want to say thank you to God for. Isn't that great? Our, our kids are getting some great stuff, so we really thank the guys that are doing that. So, uh, yeah, when you're clearing them up, that would be brilliant. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 5. We've had joy, haven't we, going through Ephesians. Have you enjoyed it? I have. Uh, as a community, and it's a challenging book. It's a really challenging book. Do I need to put this thing on, Aaron? Sorry, Aaron. That's it. It's got the helmet back on now. Okay, so um, we'll read, shall we? I've asked you to find it and I haven't got mine now. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. I'm reading from the ESV. And I think it's a new international that's upcoming on there. But whatever you've got, we'll just go through, all right? Don't worry if there's the odd word that's slightly different. I'm reading, first of all, verse 1 down to 21, and then I shall stop, okay? Okay, so, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This kind of naturally falls into kind of two halves, so I'm uh, focusing on the first half and then we're going to move on. We're called to live right Firstly, he gives us specifically details, Paul does, um, as to examples so that we are not left clueless. 
Paul wants to ensure that we saints, because you are saints, if you are, uh, if you have Christ, you've invited Christ as your saviour, you're a saint. Um, that in actual fact, that we're clear on what's expected of us. This chapter pulls no punches, and those first few verses tell you what you should and what you shouldn't do. And I don't know about you, but this generation has something that rises up within itself to say, well, who are you to tell me what I should or shouldn't do? Any sexual immorality, filthiness or crude talking should not be part of our gathering or talk. And we shouldn't covet. We shouldn't want what other people have got. Paul encourages us to walk. Now, obviously, walking is a verb, isn't it? It's a doing word. And walk implies that we are in the process of doing it, that we are in the process of working, walking this journey of faith. Walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing of the Lord. I love this. He encourages us to walk, but not wait or stall. But to make a start, whether we're at the beginning or whether we've been on the journey for a a while. I don't know about you, but often in situations at work, when you're training folks, something that they've never done before, you tend to talk them through it and then they watch you. And then it comes to the time where they need to just do it. They generally feel underconfident. And uh, in my case, the patient assumes that they've done it before but often they might not have done. Um, Walk as children of the light. Imitate Christ and do what he does. That's what you've got to do. It's that little word, as, that makes all the difference. Assume that we need to assume that God is going to come in and help us. It's simple. Even I can understand it. (laughs) If you can learn nothing out of this chapter, but those couple of verses, then those are the ones you need to learn. Walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So you try to discern. We've heard already, haven't we, Morris, when he was trying to discern what God was saying to him. It means that you've got to know God. It means that you need to read his word and understand him as a father, a saviour, and a helper, and work out what you should do and what would please him. We do that for other people, don't we? So surely we could do that for God. But what we're not to do is necessarily do the same as everyone else. Years ago, the focus would have been what you shouldn't do in church and what's not allowed. I went to a church recently for something and uh, before we started the the thing that was happening, uh, they read a list of things that we were not allowed to do. I was slightly amused. And, uh, you know, when you kind of, uh, on reflection, it kind of, I was thinking, hmm. But we were all really clear in the room what we were allowed to do and what we weren't allowed to do. Um. So that's, that's important. In the generation we live today, which has changed so much, even Prince William was co- has been commenting on the changes in our society that the Queen has had to live throughout her reign. We rarely hear talk about what you shouldn't do. 
But at times we need to speak clearly and plainly and know what God says. We are requested not to do these things, but to imitate God and to allow yourself to be guided by the Holy Spirit, reading his word and inviting him into your lives and over our circumstances. We need to do it out of a desire to follow him and to become like him. You can't be like him and remain as one of the group in your normal circumstances and in your normal networks. You'll change and that isn't a bad thing. I used to plan and attend a great deal of the functions at work. It was me that was kind of the social kind of queen that had to sort everything out. But as I've grown in my management position at work, I'm more selective about what I go to and what I attend. A junior colleague commented literally the other night, actually, a couple of weeks ago when I was preparing this, And you know what? They never commented on anything to do with my lack of attendance to socials. But what they did comment on was about the fact that I was objective and fair because I'm not in any cliques, so nobody gets favoured. And that's what they wanted. They wanted fair management. Now, as I've grown in Christ, my social life has changed Now, some would say I'm boring. (laughs) Some would say it's because I'm too busy or I'm too tired. But I would say it's actually because I'm changed, because I'm more like Christ. I've got friends at work, for instance, that will be laughing about something and I'll come in and I'll say, oh, what's that about? And they will go, "I I can't tell you. And I'll go, no, no, go on, what is it? You know, when you're trying to get involved in a... in a, Because we've all done it, haven't we? No, no, go on, tell me, so you can be in with it. And they'll go, no, I really can't tell you. And I'll go, oh, oh, is it is it rude? And they go, yeah, it's really bad. And I go, okay then. And I have to accept that I can't be included. And the reason for that is because... God has called us to be set apart. You cannot have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit and still be involved in everything that everybody else is. It does not work. And if you are trying to do it and it ain't working, then hear it from the front. That's why. Because it is a complete clash and it will not work. I ha- Sorry. The Holy Spirit draws me to pray for so many situations for individuals and for families and for the area of Warsaw. And you know what? I don't want at other times also to then be involved in conversations that tear the very same individuals down. It doesn't work. You can't pray for people on one hand and then in the next breath to be trashing them. It doesn't work. So that means that you can't be involved in certain conversations. And if it makes you feel like you're left out, then welcome to the kingdom of God. We are called to be set apart. 
we are called to be different because we are the ones that are meant to be standing, shining lights, and we are the ones that people come to quietly on our own when we're making a cup of coffee, when we're on the way out of the building, whether people will ask us for specific help or can you pray about such and such or can I talk to you about so and so? We can't do both. We have to make polite excuse and leave. And sometimes we have to be a bit more obvious and say, you know what? I can't be involved in this. We have to, and it is that people aren't going to like it and they don't like it. But you will know when is the time to just politely disappear because that's also imitating God because the Holy Spirit also will politely just disappear, won't he? If we don't make him welcome. And there are other times where we need to make a stand and say, no, I'm not being involved in that. You know, uh, my prayer is that we grow together at the same pace, that God has taken us as Junction 10 through such a great deal in the last 12 months. We have learnt patience and long-suffering. We've experienced his grace and his mercy. We've been given gifts of love and kindness. We've experienced his generosity. And we've be, he's also been generous in his word. And deed, as a congregation, we have been to others. Other churches and leaders have been praying for us like you wouldn't believe. And they've been so kind. Our God has sustained us in the desert and he is leading us into a green and pleasant land. He is our Lord. He is the author and finisher of our faith. You know, at the moment, I, my daily readings have been in Daniel. And I've been reading about King Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. You know, it's very dangerous to live your life only half not acknowledge God. Remember I said about the fact that you've got to be set apart. You cannot half acknowledge him. Both of these kings knew of God, but they would only accepted him when it was necessary or when it benefited them as individuals. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> um, they were under the illusion that the place where they were was as a result of their own clever ability and wonderful personalities. I have to say, I have no illusion of that for myself. <laughs> this was very naive and not true. As kings, they would have made decisions about stuff. But it was only because people that are doers have brought them all the right information so that they could make the right they could make a good decision. They also allowed pride to come in. And actually, pride is so unhealthy. Claiming credit for ourselves, that which belongs to God is not good. As a result, God, who sees all, sees all, gave Nebuchadnezzar a warning in the form of a dream. And he can, if he continued on the path, that he would be driven from human society like an animal and he'd eat grass. Now, that's a fairly strong dream. I wouldn't like that. Until he recognised God as the Most High, who rules over the kingdoms of the world. Now, initially, the king said thank you to Daniel. And he carried on with his life. 
And he obviously thought, oh, yes, that's, you know, that's interesting. Until there was a day when he was standing on, on, uh, in a high place and he was looking over the kingdom and the king stated about how well he, Nebuchadnezzar, had, uh, had done to build such a kingdom. And then the prophecy came to pass. When we discipline children, we warn them and we explain and we warn them and we explain and then we have to follow through with the punishment, don't we? Because even though as parents, we really don't want to, and I know there are parents, that, there's been times where there's sometimes where you really, really, really don't want to. Other times you find it a lot easier. But there are some times where you really don't want to, but you've got to. You have to follow through for the sake of the child. God is God. And he is the most high. He is our father. He's our savior. And he's the prince of peace. But he will not share his glory with you or me. Fact. He is in charge, not us. And no matter what we gripe about, his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven because he said it would. I don't know about you and I don't know what side you want to be on, but I know whose side I want to be on. I want to be on the side of the King of Kings. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had words from V and from Andrew Akane, and both of them said about the safest place to be is in the centre of God's will. We read again, we read again that verse in this, in this chapter, walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Let's unashamedly imitate him and try to do what pleases him. By the way, I mentioned Belshazzar, didn't I? He ignored God to his peril. And he, he, we have to thank Belshazzar for the statement of the writings on the wall. You know, that sense of impending doom. Our father is forgiving, but he is the judge over all things. And we want to ensure just, justice is done for all people in the earth throughout all generations, which means there should be an element of fear. Let's read this second half. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and his body and his, it's, is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her and having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, 
and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you who loves his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's probably one of the most quoted scriptures, rightly or wrongly, to prop up most arguments or a lot of arguments. For Adam and I, when we got married, one of the things that I specifically wanted to do was I wanted to say the word obey. Now, most most of over the generation, it has actually been battled out of the vows and uh, he actually had to uh, put it back in specifically for me because I was being awkward. But I wanted to say obey because I knew that that was important for me as an individual. And we wanted a marriage like in Ephesians 5. In, in actual fact, although I'm a strong, what appears like a strong and vocal woman, I do actually understand the principle of Ephesians 5 and its importance. You know, for us, we, we wanted that marriage and for the woman to obey or submit and the man to be the head and for the husband to love the wife as Christ loved the church. Now, I, if excuse me if I'm wrong, but in loving the church, Christ gave his life. Now, I can sign up for the kind of love where a man is prepared to give his life for me. And to that man... I will happily submit and obey. Now, I understand that in any kind of sizable congregation, there are lots of complications and differences, but I'm talking about the marriage that God's talking about, well, Paul was talking about in Ephesians 5, okay? So that's where I'm going from. In the New Living Translation, it speaks of submitting to one another. Now, Ladies, there is an element where I think that we can think that we're right about everything. And to be honest, it's not very attractive. It's also arrogant because we can assume that our way is the best. But in actual fact, it says in the Bible that we are to submit to one another and that means backing down with grace and accepting that all your ideas are not always the best. Also, in Christian circles, it seems to be that if you're a Christian woman and your husband doesn't come to church, that in actual fact, you will def your, hus your man will definitely not be right. That's not healthy and it's not right. You know, it's a well-known fact, gentlemen, that we ladies get upset at not just what you say, but how you say it. Is that right, lads? Oh, here it all, you can hear all them arguments straight away, can't you? I can see like little pop-ups all over the room. <laughs> but ladies, the men are sensitive too and can be hurt and misinterpret what we say. And we need to be careful, ladies. Because we've been told for years that men have got thick skin and take no notice of what you say. 
that is a lie. Men choose to let go of things more than we women do, in my experience. Story of two couples that I heard having dinner at one at uh, one of the homes. And the host had a massive house, huge. And when they were looking around, the visiting couple were uh, amazed at the marvellous facilities in this out-of-this-world home. And as they made their way down the incredible staircase, um, the woman of the... Uh, the wife of the visiting couple went, uh, jokingly, said, uh, it's time to get a new job then. They all laughed... They gurgled, thought it was very amusing, and off they went to dinner. The wife suddenly noticed that the husband was a bit off with her, and actually he didn't find the joke funny at all, because what he heard was, what you do is not enough. Another couple having a special dinner together, and the husband had an, in an interview that day and got a promotion. She prepared his favourite meal, and when he sat down at the table, she poured his wine. He found a note saying, well done. I am so proud of you. I knew you could do it. At the end of the meal, when they went into the kitchen to do the clearing up, a note dropped out of her pocket and he picked it up and he found it. And it said, I'm sorry about the promotion, but the meal is to tell you we love you and appreciate your hard work day in, day out for us as a family. His heart soared because the fact of the matter was he was accepted no matter what. That is respect. We need to be nice to our spouses. Be polite and be kind and patient. And above all, we need to be nice. Be nice. I understand that we're all human and I understand that we have to let go sometimes and our loved ones generally put up with that every now and again. But if it is becoming a daily, weekly event, then it's not right. Gentleness is an attribute of God. Harshness and hardness is not of God and it must stop. A soft answer returns away wrath. Let kind words be on your tongue. Think about the way that you've spoken to your spouse over the last couple of months, over the last few days. If you'd have spoken in exactly the same way to your boss, would you still have a job? Would you need to dip your cap a little bit and make them a coffee and be a bit more, you know, over generous? Or is the way that you speak perfectly fine? If the answer's great, then fab. But if it's a case of you need to stop, then stop it. It's not godly behaviour and you can stop. Remember the first part of the chapter, that we're called to be spiritually mature. We need to treat one another in a kind way. Men and women, treat them with honour. Listen to one another and help one another. Go the extra mile for one another. You married somebody totally different to you. And they will do things differently at different times, in different ways. And you have to allow the other space and encourage one another. Don't be lazy, men. Don't be lazy. 
Don't take one another for granted. Assuming that just because, you know, when you get to a point in a relationship where you accept one another. I remember Joy and Andre saying to Adam Knight, it's almost like it becomes like a hip joint, you know, a ball and socket joint, that it becomes smooth. Well, even when it becomes smooth, we have to not take for granted one another. If one earns more than the other, then don't just keep looking about what else you can buy. Look at what you can save or do we need to actually, could we free you up for a day a week? If, if the others does more in the, in the, about the house, then what can I do to help you? I feel as though I haven't done anything recently. What can I do? We all have such mixed roles that it's not traditionally between men and women anymore. So it's all mixed up. But whatever the other does, we need to help the other. And finally, we need to speak nicely about our spouse to all that you meet and limit who you share the negatives with. Because what people do is they speak back to you that which you've said. So if you are speaking negatively to all that you meet, then all they'll do is when you're feeling a bit fed up, is they'll just answer, oh, well, well, he never does that. She never did that anyway, did she? Well, he always does so and so, doesn't he? Be careful who you speak it to. Take a chosen friend that you might spew that stuff out to. And to the others, you speak nicely of them. Because then they'll say, oh, but he's always quite helpful, isn't he? Because when you're having a moment, or when you're having a moment about your wife or your husband, then in actual fact, your friends will encourage you rather than always tearing them down. We are called to love our neighbour as, our, as ourselves, to love a neighbour or a stranger, to be kinder to them, to go the extra mile, to pick them up if, if something happened to them. So how much more must we do to the person that we have chosen to spend the rest of our life with? We have chosen somebody till death us do part, so let's be kind. Let's speak well. Let's have an Ephesians 5. We're called to spiritual maturity, to be set apart and to honour and respect one another. Let's ask ourselves before God, are we? Are we set apart for him? Let's pray, shall we? Team. If you come. We're just going to take a moment to uh, Holy Spirit, if there's something that you are just whispering in our ear, just speak, Lord, we're listening.
Lord, we just, uh, I just pray for those people that are uh, half in and half out. For those people that are struggling with the fact that you are calling them to be set apart for you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen their character. I pray that you would put something within them. Give them your word, Lord, that is worth so much more than being included in the group that they are trying to hold on to. Lord, I pray, I pray that these folk would be set apart for each one of us to be set apart, upright, standing, known as yours wherever we go. And Lord, I pray, I pray for the marriages, Lord. Lord, I pray a blessing over the marriages in this house. Those that are here and those that aren't here. Lord, I pray that we would have Ephesians 5 marriages repeated over and over again. Help us, Lord, to submit to one another. To love one another and to be kind. Because we know that's imitating you, that you are kind. And Lord, strengthen each one of us. No matter what their situation, I pray you would strengthen each one. May we sense your presence on a day-by-day basis. We need you. My God, we need you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of your Bible to us and we pray that it will bless each one of us. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing an amazing song. There is power in the name of Jesus. Is that right? I got that right. Yeah, I got that right. Um, I've got just three three things that I need to tell you that we uh, accidentally missed. Uh, firstly is uh, Bob Pitcher's coming next week. Refill magazines will be here. Uh, secondly, can... Uh, it's really tedious. I'm really sorry. Can you just be careful in the toilets and uh, be all tidy and nice and lovely? Uh, I'm not going to go into any more detail. Is that all right? 
keep an eye on the children. That'd be great. Lovely. And finally, uh, tables. We just need a hand to get the tables right in the that classroom there and that classroom there. Um, we haven't got to do any tables in here, but we have next week. So, um, so I want you to be really helpful next week in here, but it's just in those two classrooms. Thank you. Let's stand. We are going to take up our tithes and offerings um, because I don't think we've done that yet. We're going to worship God with those. So uh, let's sing, shall we?